Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place, place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, if you uh, are new to New York, uh, maybe you're traveling here for the summer, maybe you're doing an internship, uh, maybe you've just moved here, uh, I want to welcome you to Exilic. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And just to catch you up to speed, if it is your first time here, uh, we've been doing a teaching series on the book of Genesis. Uh, and this is something that we'll be doing for one more week before we take a break in the summertime, and then we'll pick it up again in the fall, basically till the end of the year. So that's sort of the roadmap uh, for today. Now, the question is, why are we looking at Genesis? Well, have you ever... Um, watched a show or a movie uh, in the middle part uh, without watching the beginning, you can kind of understand what the storyline is about, but you don't really fully understand the context of the story unless you watch the beginning first, right? Or maybe you're interested in learning more about race. You can kind of understand the complexities of racism in our country, but you can't fully understand the complexities of racism individually and systemically in our country unless you understand the history of race in our country from the beginning. And similarly, I would, I would say that when it comes to your life, you can kind of, and life as a whole, you can kind of understand what life is about by just living in the moment, but you can't fully understand the context of life unless you first understand the history of humanity, how we even got here to begin with. It is only then that you can have a better grasp and understanding of life as a whole. And so that's why we are looking at Genesis. That's why we're calling this series In the Beginning, so we can really understand what life is about. Now, if you've never read Genesis 1 before, God creates the entire cosmos, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, the land, the sea. And after he creates each thing, God says this thing over and over again, this phrase, and behold, it is good. What's really interesting is when you take a look at Genesis 2, however, there is one thing, there is one thing that God says is not good. And take a look with me at verse 1 when he writes this. In verse 1, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And what's really interesting about this verse is that technically speaking, Adam was not alone. God was there, 
God's presence was there. And doesn't it sound so theologically correct to say, God, you are more than enough for me? Doesn't that sound so theologically correct to say, God, I don't need anything else. All I need is you. Doesn't that sound so theologically correct? And yet, what God is implying in this verse is no. I am not more than enough for you. And the reason why I am not enough for you is because the way that I'm shaping and designing you is to mirror me. And by yourself, you can't mirror me because ontologically speaking, what is God? He's triune. He's three persons. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And within this triune context, God has perfect community and friendship. And so Adam, as one individual person, it is impossible for him to really reflect and mirror who God is. And because God is a social being, a communal being, he also wants Adam to be a social creature, a communal creature as well. And so what God does when he makes Adam is that he intentionally puts this ache in his heart, an ache that we've all felt before, he intentionally puts this ache in his heart called loneliness. Because we are meant to be in community and relationships uh, with one another. And maybe you're here today and you profoundly feel that ache in your heart called loneliness. Maybe you've just moved to New York from whatever city and you had a great community back there and it's just daunting, the, the, the thought of refreshing a new community here. Maybe you've been here for like one or two or three years, and you still feel like you have no friends, and you still feel that pang of loneliness in your heart. And I want you to know that if that is how you feel, that loneliness, that aloneness, I want you to know that you are not alone. And pun intended when I say this, when you feel that loneliness, you are actually in good company, okay? Uh, we all know that economists are saying that in Q3 and Q4, there's a likelihood of some kind of recession. But what sociologists have been saying for much longer is that we are already in a recession, a recession that is far more dangerous than an economic recession. And the recession that we are in right now is a friendship recession. This is a phrase that the uh, res uh, researcher and surveyor Daniel Cox, who specializes in Gen Z in particular, coined a couple years ago, a friendship recession. And what is a recession? A recession is some kind of decline. It is some kind of downward uh, activity. It is not up and to the right, but it is down and to the right. And this is what Cox is saying uh, that we experience when it comes to our friendships and relationships. And this recession has not just impacted some of us, but it's actually impacted all of us as we increasingly become a lonely nation. Let me just give you a couple headlines. The National Review, it says, American men suffer a friendship recession. WAPO. Surgeon General says there's a loneliness epidemic. USA Today, young people report more loneliness than the elderly. Boston Globe, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men, 
isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. The New York Times, the surprising effects of loneliness on health. The Atlantic, loneliness begets more loneliness. The New York Times, how social isolation is killing us. And one of the things that I want you to notice about these uh, two of these articles in particular is that two of them are specifically targeted and geared towards men. I was listening to a talk um, a couple weeks ago, uh, and it was not given in a church context, but the speaker was talking about loneliness. And he asked all the women in the room, he said, how many of you talk to your friends at least once a month about what you're going through? Literally, all the women raised their hands. And then he said, how many of you women talk to your friends about what you're going through at least once a week? Most of the women raised their hands. And then he turned to the men. And he said, how many of you men talk to your friends at least once a month about what you're going through? And a few hands go up. And then he says, how many of you men talk to your friends every week about what you're going through? Like two hands go up. You know what the speaker says? Let me guess. You guys go to church where they force you to share your feelings every week. (laughs) And then he turned back to the women and he said, can you imagine if you were only allowed to talk to your friends 12 times per year about what you were going through? Once a month, that's it, no more. Can you imagine if that's what you were limited to? And, And you see all the women shaking their heads, no. I cannot imagine that. But think about what men, what we experience because we don't share what we're going through, because we don't feel like we have any friends. And this is why men perpetually feel the pangs of loneliness far more than women experience. The irony, of course, is that so many of us are so good at taking care of our physical bodies. But when it comes to taking care of this ache in our hearts called loneliness, we're awful. The former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, in How Loneliness is Damaging Our Health, Murthy writes this, we ask people to exercise and eat a healthy diet and take their medications. But if we truly want to be healthy, happy, and fulfilled as a society, we have to restructure our lives around people. Right now, our lives are centered around work. The greatest human need is not for food or shelter. The greatest human need, then, is the need to belong. God puts this ache in our hearts because he doesn't want us to live by ourselves, but he wants us to reflect him, the triune God. And so the way that God restructures Adam's life is not around work, but it's with the presence of a friend. And in verse 19 to 20, it says this, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, 
no suitable helper was found. Now, even though dogs are a man's best friend, they are not the same as another human being. And so Adam is surrounded by all these animals, but the friendship is different between humans and animals and humans obviously with another human. And so he makes a suitable helper for Adam. Now you might think the first thought that comes into your mind when you hear the word helper is someone that is inferior, right? someone that is there to assist you, and someone that is there to serve you. But when you take a look at this Hebrew word, ezer, that is not the meaning of the word ezer. The Hebrew word ezer appears 21 times in the Bible. Two times ezer is referred to, uh, uh, is referring to Eve. Three times Azer is referring to a dominant, stronger nation that is helping weak, vassal Israel. And 16 times Azer is actually referring to God himself. So I'll give you two examples. Psalm 33. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help, Azer, and our shield. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help, Azer, come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so what we see here is that the word helper is not alluding to someone that is inferior, but in many ways, someone that is superior, someone that is almost like a type of savior. Now, am I saying that Eve was Adam's savior? No one, yes, not from his sin, but certainly from his aloneness. Uh, this is an observation that um, you may have noticed, and, and I think my grandmother uh, is a good picture of this, but my grandmother is 100 years old, <laughs> and my grandmother has been a widow for 42 years. So from 58 to 100, she's been a widow. And it, and it shows you the, the resiliency and strength uh, that my grandmother has. But you know what's really interesting? When the tables are turned and the wife dies first, the husband or the widower almost always, they only last like one to three years before they die. I don't know if you've noticed that before. Like if something happens to Hannah, I'm screwed. <laughs> and she knows that. Um, but joking aside, there is a sense in which it is not good for Adam to be alone. It is not good for Eve to be alone because we were designed to mirror and reflect who God is. We need good community and we need good friendships in our lives. Now, you might be thinking, of course, who wouldn't deny that? We all need good friends in our lives, but what you might failed to realize is that if you really want good friends in your lives, you first have to be a good friend to other people. And if you really want to be a good friend to other people, you first have to kill your utopian vision of what you think community ought to be. 
And one indicator that you have a utopian vision for what you think community ought to be is when you say things like the church is filled with so many hypocrites. Of course the church is filled with hypocrites. Outside the church is filled with hypocrites either. Who amongst us lives a perfectly consistent life? No one. And so you have to kill your utopian vision of, of, of what you think community really ought to be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his classic book, Life Together, Bonhoeffer writes this, probably one of the best quotes in the book. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them, that is people, not just community, but people, they will create community. Do you see what he's saying there? People often say things like, I'm looking for community. But community is not something you look for. Community is something that you build. And the reason why I say build now more than ever is because in this hyper-mobile society that we live in, what's the one common narrative that we hear all the time in, our, in any big city? I'm losing all my friends. Everyone's moving to Atlanta and LA and Boston and Philly. Like, and so community doesn't just happen. It doesn't just form on its own. You have to intentionally build it. If I'm going to be here in New York City, I have to constantly build new friendships and relationships. Otherwise, I'm not going to make it here. Community is not just something that you look for, but it's something that you have to actively build as well. And the way that you build it is by having the mindset of a nurse or an attending physician. Nurses and attending physicians, they routinely do the rounds and they check in on people and they check in on people's vitals. They check in on people's heart condition. They check in on people's blood pressure, but they are routinely doing the rounds, making sure that everyone is doing okay. And what if we not only had the mindset of a patient, and I understand that all of us have needs, I get that, but what if we not only had the mindset of a patient, but a nurse or a doctor, where we're not always thinking about our own needs, but we're actively thinking about the needs of other people. What is the one common thing? What's the one common trait that the person that you admire the most and people seem to be drawn to, what is the one common thing that they all have? Think about those people in your mind right now. The people that, that you're drawn to and other people are drawn to, what is the one common thing that they have? They functionally act like a nurse or an attending physician. They self-deny their own rights. They listen instead of speaking. So they deny themselves as talking. They, they sacrifice their time. And they're interested far more in you than they are in themselves. That is the one common thing that the most attractive people have. And what if every one of us had that mindset? That would not only change our church, it would radically change our city. But you know what? It wouldn't only change the fabric of our relationships. But I promise you, if you actually had that mindset, it would change you as well. Or to put it another way, if we really want to have great friends, we first have to learn how to be sacrificial. 
And that's what we see in verse 21 and 22. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, while Eve is a type of savior for Adam's aloneness, we can also say that it is Adam's sacrifice of his rib. It is his sacrifice, this part of his body that allows for the formation of Eve. And it is both the combination of Eve's savior-like qualities and Adam's sacrifice of a part of his body that ultimately point to Jesus, who was our ultimate savior, who didn't only give up a part of his body, but he gave up his entire body for us. But not only did God the, uh, God the Son give up a part of his body, but he also gave up the perfect community that he had with God the Father and God the Spirit. He gave up that perfect community and traded it for an imperfect community. His own family did not believe in him. His closest friends ditched him and abandoned him and betrayed him when he needed them most. But more than anything else on the cross, God the Father turned his back on him. And the reason why everyone turned their backs on him and the reason why he was willing to go through this kind of experience this aloneness is because Jesus Christ would take on the weight of the world's sin upon himself so that we would never have to experience that aloneness or that loneliness ever again. I don't know what hell is exactly like, but what I do know is that if we are designed for community and friendships, what I do know is that hell would be the opposite of that. Hell is an eternity of aloneness and loneliness for the rest of your life. It is the ultimate dehumanization because you are alone forever, but it is on the cross where Jesus takes that for us so that we would never have to experience that on our own. And I think what makes loneliness in particular so deadly is not just because we don't have any friends, but the reason why loneliness sucks so much is because deep down in our hearts when we're lonely, we don't feel loved. That's really what makes loneliness feel so deadly. It's not just the lack of company, it's the lack of love that we feel that makes it so harsh. But when you think about what the cross is, it is the ultimate proof of his love for you. It's the ultimate, no, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for you. Greater love has no one than this. And what do we see on the cross? He gives up his life for you because of his love for you so that you would know that you are never alone. But not only that, just as Adam gained a new friend, wife, and family, we also gain a new family and friends, and that is the church. In Psalm 68, it says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. 
If we really are experiencing a friendship recession right now, what we need now more than ever is frequency. We need, we need chance encounters at Bryant Park, Trader Joe's, or on the train. But we not only need a frequency of chance encounters, but intentional encounters in community groups, weekly CGs, affinity groups. Realizing that community doesn't just form on its own, but it has to be built. So join an affinity group, all right? Get your chaturanga on this coming Saturday as we do yoga. Join a golf group. Join some group this summer and intentionally build community in your life. You know what they say? This is such a pastor joke, so it's an equivalent of a dad joke when I say this, but do you know what they say is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed? It's not water into wine. It's not walking on water. It's not even rising again from the dead. You know what the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed was? It was making 12 new friends after the age of 30. <laughs> it's like impossible to do, right? Because like the moment you start a relationship, they're gone, they leave. And it's just, it's so hard to do. But he built those relationships. And so must you. Next week, uh, and I'll close with this, uh, we have a guest speaker coming, Edwin Cologne. He's a household name at our church if uh, you haven't met him. And, and by the way, you have to come because whenever he preaches, it's always the best sermon of the year. But Edwin, uh, I'm pretty sure he will next week introduce himself as our crazy Puerto Rican uncle. But if you know Edwin, you know that he's not crazy at all. Uh, in fact, whenever Edwin is in a room, you will quickly realize that he is actually the smartest and wisest person in the room. And when we get to heaven, we're all gonna look at Edwin and be like, oh, I should have lived my life like you. You were the smart one, not me. But, um, you know, one thing that uh, Edwin does for me almost once a month is that he sends me a text and he writes, uh, Aaron, I just want you to know how much I love you. And that I'm thinking about you and that I'm praying for you. I love you, man. Like every month he sends me this text. And if you know anything about Edwin, you know that it, like he, he has a lot on his plate all the time. And so whenever he sends me a text like that, like I genuinely feel love that he's thinking about me. Like I sometimes I feel like he loves me more than my own kids. <laughs> uh, but I, I feel that love. And I think a part of the reason why Edwin is able to um, show this kind of love, not just to lovable people, because anyone can do that, right? But to even unlovable people. Like he always makes a beeline to that awkward person. He makes a beeline to that person that no one wants to talk to, or that beeline to that person that's marginalized and ostracized by society. And I think the reason why Edwin is so good at that is honestly because he feels the friendship of God in his life. Like, God has befriended Edwin. And because of that, he wants to befriend everyone else. <laughs> because he realizes that he was shown such great love, he wants to show that love to other people. So how about this? Let's stop asking the question, why don't I have more friends? And how about we start asking the question, what can I do today 
to be a good friend to other people. Ray Ortland says, no one you meet today will be suffering from over-encouragement. No one. But you know what? There's a whole lot of us in this room right now that are suffering from under-encouragement. No one you meet today will be suffering from over-encouragement. So what can you do today to be a tangible expression of the friendship that God has extended to you? How can you be a good friend today? Let's pray. Uh, God, I, I, I don't know where this friendship recession is going. I don't know if things are going to get worse or things are going to get better. But I do know that we can't sit still and do nothing. We have to do something. We have to create environments. We have to create a culture. We have to create a church where people honestly feel known, seen, loved. But what that also means is that we can't all have a patience mindset, but that we also need to have a nurse's mindset, an attending physician's mindset. And so help us do our rounds as we scroll through our phones and look at our contacts. Help us to do the rounds as we think about the people that are in our circle and out of our circle. And help us to be a good friend uh, the way that you have been to us. In your name I pray. Amen.